wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. Now we have a lot to get to here today between pay-per-views to preview, shows to review, news to discuss, but probably the biggest piece of news that dropped all week in the world of wrestling. Good humor bringing back the WWE ice cream sandwiches. In early 2020, after a long absence, they're bringing back the ice cream sandwiches nine years removed from CM Punk's petition to bring him back back in, what, 2011? That was like the whole crux of the storyline of the Summer of Punk nine years ago. But we're finally getting them brought back. Um, And I say early 2020, it's already January 2020 as we speak right now. Um, I believe in February, they had said they're coming back to all the major retailers, ice cream trucks. I haven't been to an ice cream truck in years, but I might have to flag one down just to get to a WWE ice cream sandwich. I mean, they're not exactly as as you remember them. And I mean, I wasn't around when they were you know, around the first time around 30 years ago. Um, I think they only sold, I mean, probably a lot, but they were only around for a few years in the late 80s, as far as I know, um, from like 87 to 89, maybe, like in your traditional ice cream bar form. Um, but then they were discontinued um, a long time ago. And then CM Punk, out of nowhere, said that he wanted WWE ice cream bars brought back as part of his uh, you know, uh, th- that storyline with Vince McMahon in the summer of 2011. He said he wanted his own movie. He wanted to be put in the intro at the start of the show. He wanted to headline WrestleMania. He wanted his own merchandise. He ended up getting a lot of those things aside from main eventing WrestleMania and getting the ice cream bars brought back. He had his own t-shirt that had a picture of an ice cream bar on it with his face on it. But aside from that, the ice cream bars were never brought back. People, like, swarmed good humor. They were saying, hey, we want these back. There was, like, this outpour, this this giant outpour of support for WWE ice cream bars. And then nothing came of it until, like, randomly out of the blue this past week, um, it was revealed online that they're getting brought back, and good humor has since actually confirmed it on their very own website. And I know we're getting uh, ice cream sandwiches in the form of John Cena, Becky Lynch, Randy Savage, and Roman Reigns. So you have a nice variety of there of the past, the present, and the future, which is pretty cool. But uh, those will, again, I believe be on sale as early as next month. So the next time I'm throwing my own pay-per-view preview party, like my own pay-per-view watch-along party, whatever, for WrestleMania even, I'm not buying chips. I'm not buying, you know, fucking wings or whatever. I'm not buying nachos. I'm buying a whole set of the WWE ice cream bars. That sounds absolutely amazing. But on that note, guys, this is Wrestle Rant Radio for Thursday, January 9th, 2020. Almost like 2019. I'm still living in the last decade here. Again, like I said last week, it's going to take me a long time to get used to saying 2020. But uh, we have a stacked show on 
you know, on tap for you fine folks here today. And when don't we? I mean, usually I, I have a lot of things to discuss anyway. La- like last week, for example, we had a really stacked show. Didn't really get to discuss Raw in NXT, or rather Dynamite. There was no NXT last week. In as much depth as I would have liked last week, I really spent the entire show breaking down the top 25 list of the best matches in WWE in 2019 as ranked by WWE.com. Got a lot of cool support and uh, you know feedback on that episode. Maybe I'll do more stuff like that in the future where I break down whatever is on WWE.com, their lists, other websites' lists, give my thoughts on them, how poorly they're written like the WWE.com lists sometimes are. And they do have really good writers over there. I mean, who am I to say? Um, I mean, I'm a writer myself, but some of these people, I mean, they work at WWE and I don't. But the thing is, is that they kind of go a little too hard with their description sometimes. So if you want to hear what I'm talking about, go check out last week's episode of Wrestle Rant Radio, the premiere episode of 2020, where I broke down the top 25 best matches in WWE in 2019 as ranked uh, 1 through 25 by WWE.com themselves. Um, but like I said, a ton to discuss here today on the show between Impact, Hard to Kill, this coming Sunday, doing pay-per-view predictions for Impact, as I always do. Don't have a ton of time to discuss Impact every week here on the show. I actually rarely do. But I always make time for their pay-per-views because they are usually really, really good. Sunday should be no exception. Also this Sunday, it's a double shot. This Sunday we have Impact, Hard to Kill which is an aptly named pay-per-view, by the way. An aptly named pay-per-view for a company that just will not die. Um, And rightfully so. I mean, Impact has been, you know, much better in recent years than they have been in a long time. But nonetheless, though, that's coming up on Sunday night. Sunday afternoon, at least here on the East Coast, starting at, I want to say, noon. I think it's starting to air on network, on the WWE Network. I probably won't watch it until much later on in the afternoon. But we have the NXT UK TakeOver Blackpool 2 show on the exact one-year anniversary of TakeOver Blackpool last year. Now, I guess this is a new thing where WWE's trying out the TakeOvers and whatnot on Sundays, which I don't like. Um, I said this on Twitter um, a few days ago, that I like the TakeOvers on Saturdays. I think it's a cool thing to do. I know Sundays are the traditional pay-per-view day. Don't fucking at me talking about that shit. I mean, I know, obviously, Sundays are the days where pay-per-views, um, at least for WWE, have resided now for a long time. I know, I'm not sure about boxing. I'm sure boxing, you know, puts their pay-per-views up on Saturday nights. I know the UFC does. AEW has done that. NXT in the last five years, for the most part, ever since they branched out and started their own, um, like, the, the, the takeovers over the weekends of the major WWE pay-per-views. They've put their takeovers on Saturdays, too. It just makes the most sense. Um, yes, they can sometimes overshadow the main roster pay-per-views, but that's not NXT's fault. That's the main roster's fault for not putting on a better show. But at any rate, though, it looks like we might be headed towards more takeovers on Sundays. There is nothing coming up this weekend in terms of a major WWE show. There's no normal NXT TakeOver coming up later this month. Instead, we have Worlds Collide, which is happening the day before the Royal Rumble, which is cool, um, pitting the superstars of NXT regular and NXT UK against each other. Uh, we actually did have two two new matches added to the card Today, actually, as I speak, uh, one pitting Rhea Ripley against Tony Storm, I believe, for the NXT Women's Championship and a rekindling of that rivalry uh, from a year ago. It was actually Tony Storm who beat Rhea Ripley to become the NXT UK Women's Champion uh, a year ago from this weekend. So we have that match coming up at Worlds Collide, and for the first time ever, I believe, Finn Balor versus Ilya Dragunov 
And if you don't know who he is, you absolutely should. Check out his match with Cesaro from the last UK TakeOver show, which was absolutely tremendous. The match itself, but the entire event was excellent. It was one of the best TakeOvers, one of the best shows, period, in WWE in 2019. Um, but yeah, Worlds Collide is coming up on that Saturday. Now, I believe there's a TakeOver coming up the night before WrestleMania in Tampa this year in April. Beyond that, it looks like NXT might start to run more TakeOvers, more live shows, not like live events, but like takeover specials outside of the big four pay-per-view weekends that might stop after wrestlemania i'm not sure if that's still a thing um i haven't really heard too much about that so we will soon see but personally i like the takeovers on saturdays over sundays i think saturday is just the better day for it especially when it airs later i mean the takeovers air at like fucking 7 p.m but i heard from someone in the uk who also agrees with me that saturdays are the better day just because if they, any, if they air any later than 7 p.m. over here, so you got to realize that the people over in the U.K., much less other countries, but at least the U.K., you know, over in England, that they are five hours ahead, um, or rather behind, yeah, behind, of us here in the States on the East Coast. So if it's 7 p.m. over here, then it's midnight over there. So the takeovers start late, and on a Saturday, that's fine. On a Sunday, it's a different story. Now, they can miss out sometimes on the main roster pay-per-views, because who the fuck cares about those? You know, no offense, but the shows aren't nearly as musty as the takeovers are now, and most people don't work on Sundays. But when you put the takeovers on a Sunday, um, then it's a different story. This one coming up this Sunday is not that big of a deal. I mean, specifically for the UK, because it's A, taking place in the UK, and two, for them, it airs at like 5 p.m. So it makes sense. Um, but going forward, though, I don't know if I like that idea. We will soon see if that sticks or not. But, uh, yeah, we have UK TakeOver on Sunday, Hard to Kill on Sunday as well from Impact. Royal Rumble coming up in two weeks. Um, and then Worlds Collide that same weekend. Also on Friday of that same weekend, we have the Northeast Wrestling. Not, I'll talk about that in a second, too. Uh, we have the NWA Hard Times pay-per-view. Um, so a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of hard pay-per-views, I guess, between hard times, hard to kill, hard justice used to be an old, um, impact pay-per-view name, but, um, yeah, so that's coming up that Friday. Northeast Wrestling is putting out a show, um, here in Connecticut on that Saturday, which I'll probably be going to. Marty Skrull's going to be there, Flip Gordon, uh, the Rock and Roll Express, Animal of the Road Warriors, and a few others. Um, that should be a very fun show as well. So I'll probably be passing up Worlds Collide that night to go to that show with Alexis and her brother. Um, but nonetheless, though, nonetheless, I'm getting way off track here. Point being, January is a very busy month. Between the stuff coming up this weekend, next weekend, the weekend after that. I, know, I think Ring of Honor actually has a pair of shows coming up this weekend as well on their Honor Club service. Um, there's a lot to watch, a lot to review, but it's all good wrestling, so it's hard to complain. Last weekend we had Wrestle Kingdom, which... I don't usually watch. This year was no exception. Um, I have yet to watch any major match. People will probably be fucking screaming through their headphones, their headset, through their speakers right now at me saying, dude, what the hell? Why have you not yet watched Wrestle Kingdom? I've just been super busy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I have kept up with the reviews, the results, the recaps, everything that is Wrestle Kingdom 14 heard, unsurprisingly, that it was an amazing show, as is every other installment of Wrestle Kingdom, both night one and night two. And as far as I've heard, from what I've heard, I don't know if, as of right now, they've confirmed they're doing that next year. Which, maybe they should. People have always asked, should they do that with WrestleMania? The shows themselves last fucking seven or eight hours as it is, from a two-hour kickoff to a five-hour main card, sometimes longer than that. 
should they extend WrestleMania to two days? Technically, it already is two days because it starts on Sunday and ends on Monday at like 12.30 in the morning. Um, So technically, it already is a two-day event. But um, I do agree the shows are long. They are tedious. I've been there for two of them in recent years. And both of them ended well after midnight. Um, The one in 2017 ended at 12.15 maybe. Last year's ended at like 12.25. Like that's no exaggeration. As soon as Becky beat Ronda and I started to get up to walk out of that arena that night, um, it was no earlier than 12.30. It was a really, really late show. So maybe it would be for the best to extend WrestleMania to two different days on a Saturday and a Sunday or a Sunday, maybe not a Monday, but um, I'm not sure if that's something they would be interested in doing. I'm not sure if that's something that would financially make sense because technically, I mean, WrestleMania, the event itself is in two days, but it's a whole weekend of festivities. So the show itself may not extend beyond, you know, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, whatever, but we have TakeOver on Saturday. We have the Hall of Fame a few days before that. We have another thing on Friday, like SmackDown, which also takes place in the host city for WrestleMania. We have Raw on Monday. So um, it's not WrestleMania, but really WrestleMania is four or five days long. And for people like me who record shows, write articles, shit like that, it's easily the busiest time of the year aside from like... You know, the end of the year with Christmas and the Rumble and stuff like that. WrestleMania season is always incredibly busy. Always very rewarding um, in terms of the great stuff we get in return. But it's always very busy. Very, very, very busy. But, um, ton to get to here today, as I already mentioned, between Raw, NXT, Dynamite, Hard to Kill, uh, TakeOver UK, Blackpool 2 on Sunday as well. A lot to get to. But before we go any further, this is Wrestle Rant Radio, as I mentioned at the start of the show. Uh, you can check out the show on all of your favorite podcast platforms, including, but not limited to, iTunes, Podcast, or I- iTunes Podcasting, obviously. <laughs> iTunes, Podbean, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, NextDayWrestling.net. We're all over the place, baby. So rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show, and get every new episode on Thursday. Speaking of which, real quickly, I, f- I forgot to mention this. Um, I never really look at the show on iTunes. I don't really check this stuff out. I appreciate anyone who's left a review of the show on iTunes or elsewhere. means a lot. But got to give a shout-out real quick to two people who left reviews of the show, not like recently. This was like months ago. I feel terrible for not getting around to it until now. Uh, we have reviews from, let's see, Codename Bags from August. Um, giving the show a five-star review, which is awesome and a great write-up of the show. As well as from... Um, I don't know how you pronounce this, but O-A-N-T-E-R-A, Ontario Man, from November. Two great write-ups of the show, very much appreciated. So um, I will give you a shout-out here on the show. If you want to drop a review of the show on iTunes, that's probably where I would most prominently see it. Um, I'm not sure if the other sites have um, the same review system as, as iTunes does. But every little review, every little rating helps. So if you listen to the show and you want to help out the show, support the show, be sure to drop us a rating, a five-star rating, or whatever you feel the show is, I guess, not not to pressure you on iTunes. And be sure to leave, it, leave if you have a minute, um, a written review as well on iTunes. All that stuff is greatly appreciated. I will shout you out here on the show if you do. But that all being said... Um, let's get to the first real big news item of the week, aside from the good humor ice cream sandwiches, of course, from WWE. Um, it was announced earlier this week from various outlets, Fightful, Pro Wrestling Sheet, PW Insider, all reported on it, that Mercedes Martinez, standout women's wrestler, who easily should have been signed by WWE a decade ago, has officially signed with WWE, which is awesome news. 
Honestly, I'm shocked it didn't happen sooner. Um, she was a part of both Mae Young Classics. I don't think we saw her on WWE TV in 2019. She went pretty far in both Mae Young Classics, had great showings each time. Although we didn't actually see her on WWE TV last year, we saw her plenty on AEW programming. Um, I think she was the last one to enter that Casino Battle Royale at the All Out pay-per-view. Um, from AEW back in August in Chicago. She didn't win, but she had a pretty good showing. So she was there um, at that pay-per-view. She was then used on maybe not two, at least one episode of AEW Dark in a tag team match. Um, she has popped up a few times. I'm very surprised that she didn't sign there because AEW's women's division needs all the help it can get. Not to say that it's depleted or that it's the absolute worst. Like, Ring of Honor's is way worse. Ring of Honor has literally, like, they are literally depleted of women over there. Kelly Klein, I think, is gone. Her contract expired or was supposed to expire on January 1st. I believe she's still the reigning Women of Honor champion. That's a whole fucking shit show. Um, they had Mandy Leone, who's, no, who's really no good. She's been there for a long time, but she's not that great. Angelina Love is not much better. They have Maria Manic, who's been there for a cup of coffee. She was there, left, came back. That's a whole other story. Um, Sumi Sakai and a few others. Their division is just downright deplorable. AEW's has potential. In fact, I thought their you know fatal four-way last week for the AEW Women's Championship was friggin' fantastic. I thought it was one of the better women's matches they put on Yet, on any show, pay-per-view, Dynamite, whatever, uh, it was a really, really good match. Of course, completely the opposite of what we saw on Wednesday between Chris Statlander and Rio, which was a fucking disaster. And I'll get to that momentarily when I break down Dynamite from Wednesday night. But, um, yeah, I'm really surprised that AEW did not snatch up Mercedes Martinez when they had the chance. And, hey, maybe they offered her a deal. Maybe she turned it down. Maybe just the money wasn't right. Maybe WWE offered her more money. We won't know. We won't know. I mean, the only person who knows that is Mercedes Martinez. She probably just got a better deal from uh, from WWE, um, and I assume that they didn't sign her sooner because, you know, the, the reason they didn't sign her sooner was because she wasn't being pressured by another major company like AEW. Now, we saw something similar a few months ago with Chris Statlander, who I had the pleasure of seeing in person uh, with Alexis at a big-time wrestling show in August. It was like a last woman standing match. It was one of the crazier indie matches I saw all year in person in 2019. Chris Statlander's a star. Um, even if you haven't seen too much of her so far in AEW Dynamite and Dark and whatever, she is really, really, really good. Um, but yeah, I, it was kind of the opposite with Chris Statlander that a lot of people figured she was going to NXT. I saw plenty of reports suggesting that she was headed there, that they offered her a deal, that she was coming on in. And then she did, and then she popped up on AEW TV. And she ended up signing with them full-time, which was honestly probably the better bet for someone like her, who's not as established as Mercedes Martinez, where with Martinez, I doubt she'll be like a Chelsea Green or a Deanna Peraza, where she'll be in the fucking Performance Center for five years before she finally debuts on NXT TV. Um, I think she'll go straight to NXT TV. She's like that. I mean, then again, Santana, Santana Garrett, um, who's going by, I think, that name in NXT now. She lost a match to Tynara a few weeks ago, maybe a month or two ago, on NXT TV. You know, she'll probably be in the PC for a little longer before she gets called up full-time to NXT TV just because they have a stacked women's division. But Mercedes Martinez is like one of the bigger women's wrestlers out there that hadn't signed anywhere up until now. Um, so I'd honestly be shocked if she was in the PC for more than a few months at that. If that, I think it's really only a matter of time before we see her on NXT TV. 
Statlander, though, if they signed her, easily, she'd be in the PC for maybe a year. Dominic Dijakovic, is kind of, that's kind of who she reminds me of, where she's really, really impressive in the ring. And she had some success outside of WWE as a, kind of a hot free agent, stuff like that. But she didn't get, like, major success in a major promotion like... I can't even say Impact, because, like, Chelsea Green had success in Impact. And she didn't debut on TV until literally this past week. And she's been signed for well over a year now. Um, you know, she didn't really have much notoriety the same person... You know, the same way that someone like an Io Shirai did, or a Kairi Sane did. You know, they went to NXT TV pretty quickly... Chris Statlander, I almost guarantee you that if she signed with NXT, and as great as their women's division is, it's stockpiled with star power right now. There is no shot that she's on NXT TV right now. The only reason why they would sign her is to get her away from AEW. And I think she made the right choice. I mean, that Wednesday mat- that match on Wednesday with Rio sucked. Uh, that wasn't really her fault. But she's been very prominently featured so far on AEW TV. She got a fucking title shot on Wednesday. She would not be getting those same type of opportunities right out of the gate in NXT. Mercedes, though, um, I think she would have been a good fit wherever she went. But in WWE specifically, um, it's cool to see her there. Finally, she was in again. Both Mae Young Classics did very, very well for herself. And again, I'm shocked they didn't bring her in at that point. Maybe they wanted to bring her in as a coach, um, a lot like they did with Serena Deeb who was in WWE a decade ago as a wrestler, and that didn't really work out, and they brought her back as a coach, which honestly is probably the best role for her, um, just because there's really not much you can do with her, and she was in the Mae Young Classic a year or two ago, which was cool, but eh, she's the type of person like, oh, it would be cool to see her, but she doesn't have the same type of buzz that a Mercedes Martinez does, so I think she made the right choice. I would assume, again, that we would see her soon, coming up on NXT TV. Um, it's a shame that Shayna Baszler, I mean, Rhea Ripley had to win the championship. I mean, she kind of had to. She had the buzz. The time was right for them to flip the title onto Ripley from Baszler. But, um, had Baszler retained against Ripley, there's a pretty good chance we would have seen Martina, Mercedes Martinez be the one to ultimately beat Shayna Baszler for that NXT Women's Championship. Uh, I feel like they had a match in one of the two main, uh, not the second one, obviously. Baszler was already signed by that point. But maybe the first one. I feel like Baszler beat Martinez to to boot her out of the tournament. Maybe I'm wrong. I might be wrong here. But I feel like those two have history. And that would be a really cool feud to explore. Um, and maybe at some point we will soon see that. I, I, I would assume that Shayna Baszler is headed uh, for the main roster sooner rather than later. She's been in NXT now for over two years. Uh, she came in second in the, May Young, uh, in the inaugural May Young Classic over two years ago. She debuted in NXT TV like soon after that in late 2017. It's very rare that someone is in NXT for over two years. Um, so I think it's really only a matter of time before we see uh, Shayna Baszler on the main roster. But hey, maybe she has a feud with Mercedes Martinez on the way out. So I believe that was all the news I wanted to cover here um, before we get into uh, the, the previews for this coming weekend. I believe it is. I'm looking at my little... My, my rundown sheet here, and I believe it is. So we'll get to the AEW stuff, the NXT stuff, the Raw stuff momentarily. I know we're already fast approaching the halfway mark here on the show already. I, I tend to talk a lot. I apologize. Uh, but there's just so much to get to here today. So again, real quick, Impact, Hard to Kill, this coming Sunday, live on Pay-Per-View, Fight TV, should be a good show. Impact is one of those sleeper promotions right now in wrestling. Uh, they're putting on good show after good show. They don't have a ton of buzz. Um, there has been very few points, if any other points, 
where this promotion, for better or for worse, has had less buzz than they do right now. But making the move to, um, what is it? The, the, the fucking promotion they're on now. The, not the promotion, but the network. Um, Access TV. Um, they had some buzz from the move. I doubt their ratings are that much stronger than they were on like Pop TV or Destination America. They were probably higher there, but hey, it's better than the fucking Pursuit Channel, so there is that. Um, but their pay-per-views have ranged from solid to good to great. Um, Bound for Glory, I don't really remember being all that great, and that was only a few months ago. I think I broke that down here on the show. The Slammiversary show, though, was fucking fire. Their Slammiversary show the year before, too, was also amazing. So I, I have hope that this is going to be a good show. Their homecoming show about a year ago in Nashville, from what I can recall, was very good, too. So hopefully this is equally entertaining. First to kick off the card, we have Ken Shamrock versus Madman Fulton. Uh, Fulton actually took out Ken Shamrock on an episode of Impact about a month or so ago, and I figured that was their way of writing out Ken Shamrock, who, by all accounts, has done a lot better in Impact than I thought he would in terms of the matches he's had and being positioned as like a, a big, you know, big name. Uh, a guy that should be a WWE Hall of Famer, I believe he's a UFC Hall of Famer, um, a former Intercontinental Champion, had a lot of success in wrestling, a lot of success in mixed martial arts. Cool to see him back in Impact doing his thing, not like burying anyone he put over Moose at the Bound for Glory pay-per-view. The match, I, I can't remember whether it was too good or not. I feel like he might have been slightly disappointing with the obvious botches, but he did hold his own. The match he had with Sammy Callahan about a month ago, I think on the same night he got attacked by Madman, uh, by, uh, Madman Fulton, that I don't remember being too great. I thought that was kind of shitty. Um, so hopefully this is better. I would like to see Fulton go over in dominant fashion. I'm not his biggest fan. He is the former Sawyer Fulton from NXT, if you can recall him from his sanity days three or four years ago. He's all right, um, but I don't think there's any real reason for him to lose to a fucking 50-year-old man here, which uh, he, he's probably a lot older than that. Ken Shamrock looks pretty old, but he's still in great shape. Despite that, though, I think Fulton kind of has to go over. Moose versus Rhino, kind of a random match just to get them on the card. Uh, Moose is doing pretty well for himself, and he has been for the last couple of months. He's won feuds against uh, Ken Shamrock. He beat Rob Van Dam back at Slammiversary over the summer. He beat Fala Ba. He beat, uh, don't think he beat Brian Cage, but he's picked up a lot of notable victories in the past six months or so. He's a guy to watch out for. He's a guy that I've followed since the beginning of his career in Ring of Honor five, six years ago. And he's progressed really, really well since then. Um, so I'm hoping they insert him into the World Championship picture sooner rather than later. Starting with a win on this show, Rhino, again, a lot like Shamrock, no real reason for him to go over here. He's got to do the J-O-B to Moose on this show. First time ever, which Impact is calling a dream match, which I wouldn't go that far, but it's Brian Cage versus Rob Van Dam, who, again, in all honesty, has done far better as a heel than I ever expected him to. He turned heel back at the Bound for Glory pay-per-view, turning on Rhino. Their match kind of sucked. Um, but this feud's been, you know, solid so far. It's not really much of a feud. It's kind of a way just to get them on the show. A lot of these undercard matches feel like they were thrown together. Um, and uh, there's a lot of old guys on the show between Rhino, Shamrock, RVD. I get it. Um, but RVD, unlike, you know, Shamrock and Moose, is actually very entertaining right now in this heel role. I think he's been killing it. Um, I'm not sure how good the match is going to be, but Brian Cage, you know, this is a tough one because I feel like Brian needs the win. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm still getting off the over that cough from last week, uh, from over the last two weeks or so. But Brian Cage is fresh off losing the Impact World Championship about a month or two ago um, to Sammy Callahan, and he needs a big win. This would accomplish that. Then again, Rob Van Dam just went heel, 
and they've been wisely protect, been protecting him since he went heel. So this could very well go either way. I would like to see Brian Cage retain, not retain, but win this match. There's no real reason for him to lose aside from furthering that hot heel momentum that uh, you know, the, the heel momentum that RVD has right now. So I'm going to say Brian Cage optimistically, cautiously, because I feel like there is a slight chance RVD goes over, which if done the right way, I won't mind, but I feel like Cage needs this win more. Eddie Edwards versus Michael Elgin in a rematch from Thursday's, or rather Tuesday's episode of Impact, um, <coughs> which was a great match, by the way. They fucking went out there and killed it. They had a great three-way, I think, with Brian Cage, I want to say, um, on Impact about a month or so ago, which is where this feud started. And I wasn't a big fan of them giving away the clean match on Tuesday's Impact. Um, I guess they did that to set up a rematch for the show with the Call Your Shot trophy being on the line, which... If you have no idea what that is, basically what it is, is that whoever holds that trophy, which Eddie Edwards won back at Bound for Glory in October, gets a title shot of their choosing at any time, any place. Like, kind of like a Money in the Bank contract. Um, I figured he would cash it in against Austin Ace for the X Division Championship. He never did, which I thought was weird. But um, I expect Eddie Edwards to win here, especially since Michael Elgin lost, or rather he won the original encounter on Impact a few weeks ago. He's also been on a roll. You know, he beat Marufuji at Bound for Glory in October. I think he can afford a loss here to Eddie Edwards, who holds on to the trophy. But this should be a great match of that last match on Tuesday was any indication. For the Impact World Tag Team Championship, the North versus Ethan, or consisting of Ethan Page and Josh Alexander, versus the duo of Rich Swan and Willie Mack. They've been teasing tension as of late between Rich Swan and Willie Mack, with the story being that Rich Swan is kind of stealing the spotlight in the tag team with Willie Mack, um, causing Willie to get jealous. So if this is headed for a heel turn, I mean, it feels a bit repetitive because they just had done something similar Bound for Glory with Rob Van Dam and Rhino. Um, but it would make the most sense. They've been teasing it very subtly over the last month or so, and they were doing it originally like many, many months ago with Killer Cross and Mack and Rich Swan, like over in the spring, but that was before Killer Cross said that he wanted to quit, um, and they took him off TV, so the angle went nowhere, but um, it seems like they're finally headed in that direction, and may, hey, maybe they, you know, overcome their issues, they win the tag team titles, and it's no problem, because then again, when you really think about it, I was going to say, maybe the North go over here, and that paves the way for Willie Mack and Rich Swan to break up, and for Willie Mack to turn on him and go heel, which is still my prediction, but it's definitely not far-fetched to suggest that Rich Swan and Willie Mack are winning the championships on this show. Because when you really think about it, who's left for the North to defend their tag team titles against? I guess there's TJP and Falaba, maybe. Um, they could always make a new tag team, but the North have kind of beaten everybody. They beat the ECW Legends, I think maybe back at the Bound for Glory pay-per-view. That's where RVD went heel, so yeah, that, that is where it happened. Um, they beat uh, Rhino and Rob Van Dam. They beat LAX over the summer. They beat the Rascals already. They've beaten a lot of different tag teams, aside from the fucking Desi Hit Squad, who are terrible. So uh, this might be it for their tag team title reign. They've been champions now since, I want to say, July, right before the Slammiversary pay-per-view. Um, so I'd be surprised if they hold on to the championships for much longer. And they are a terrific tag team, but it's come to a point now where they've run out of tag teams to defend against. And it's time to switch things up in that division. So I could absolutely see C. Swan. I could absolutely see Swan and Willie Mack becoming champions. But I'm going to stick with my guns here. Stick to my guns and predict that the North retains. And we see Willie Mack eventually betray R uh, Rich Swan. I feel like just to go through all the trouble of teasing it, only to not deliver. 
Not that it would be a waste, because it is kind of a swerve for them to stick together and become the champions. Um, but it is going to happen at some point. I do assume it will happen sooner rather than later. And they get back to focusing on Rich Swan as a singles competitor, uh, which is what he was before he started teaming up with Willie Mack after he lost the X Division Championship about um, about a year or so ago. Uh, for the Impact Knockouts Championship, a three-way match here between the current champion Ty Valkyrie, Jordan Grace, and ODB. I like Taya Valkyrie a lot. I've enjoyed her since her Lucha Underground days, but she's really come into her own as a star in Impact over the last year as the Impact Knockouts champion. Um, I think she won the championship at that January pay-per-view against Tessa Blanchard, so she's been champion now for almost exactly a year, if not over a year. And if she can walk out of this match, still the champion, her reign will extend beyond a year. Um, and her reign has not been the greatest. Her match with Tennille Dashwood at Bound for Glory was kind of eh. Um, a lot of her matches, honestly, as champion have been eh, uh, with a lot of different people. ODB does nothing for me personally, and I think she's a good fit in the NWA because she's kind of limited, and to her credit, she had a really good match on the show on, on Tuesday's episode of Power with uh, Thunder Rosa, but then again, it's, it's fucking Thunder Rosa. She's really, really good. Um, and maybe she is brought to a good match here. I don't have high hopes. Jordan Grace is also really, really good. Um, and she has yet to get her just due an impact as the knockouts champion. So maybe she retains here. I'm not hundred percent sure, but, um, you know what? Just for the sake of switching things up, I'm going to say Jordan Grace wins the championship by pinning ODB, paving the way for a one-on-one -on -one rematch between Jordan Grace and Ty Valkyrie. I could see Taya retaining here um, by pinning ODB. I feel like ODB is taking the pinfall loss either way. That's probably the only real reason why she's involved in this thing. Um, but when I look up and down the card of the championships I see changing hands, I don't think it happens anywhere else except for here. So I'm going to say Jordan Grace um, wins the Impact Knockouts Championship. For the Impact X Division Championship, we have Austin Ace, or Ace Austin, rather, I'm sorry, versus Trey Miguel for the title um, of the Rascals. This should be a really good match. Trey is awesome. The Rascals are awesome just in general. Um, I don't think he's ready for this spot yet. I mean, the guy is great, but I have yet to really see enough of him on his own to really buy into him as like a singles champion. Plus, Austin just won the title at Bound for Glory like three months ago. So I think it's way too soon to be taking the championship off of him. So I see him retaining here. And that brings us to the main event, the highly anticipated match for the Impact World Championship between Sammy Callahan and Tessa Blanchard. The history-making match for the first time ever, a woman, uh, a woman competing for a men's championship in the main event of an Impact pay-per-view. I'm sure it's happened before in other promotions, definitely not in WWE as far as I know. Um, but this is a history-making match, and I will implore anyone, everyone who has not seen the video package yet, to go out of their way and check it out from Tuesday's Impact um, that saw the hype video for Tessa and Sammy this Sunday. Absolutely amazingly well done piece of business here. Uh, definitely check it out if you haven't already seen it. It, it aired as part of Tuesday's episode of Impact um, as a hype video for the big match on Sunday. So again, check it out. It was just great stuff um, if you have the 10 minutes to spare. But... This is another tough one. I really, you know, Sammy just won the championship in October, and I could see them putting the belt on Blanchard just to get people talking. And honestly, it would succeed in doing just that, because no other promotion aside, I know Lucha put their Lucha Underground Championship on Sexy Star um, a number of years ago. She fucking sucked, though. So that was a different story. I mean, she wasn't bad, but she definitely was not believable in that role. 
the same way that Tessa Blanchard would be. They could always put the belt on Blanchard and then take it right off of her like the very next week on Impact or the TV tapings. That's also a very distinct possibility. And, uh, I mean, again, it's tough. I don't know what to go with here. I really don't. I like both of them. Um, I think Tessa could win. Do I think she should win? It's debatable. It really is. It's not going to kill their business to put their top title on a woman. They've built up Tessa enough where it's believable that she could win the championship. And honestly, if it doesn't happen here, it may never happen. And the thing is, is that she has to beat Sammy eventually. She lost to Sammy back at Slammiversary in June. I didn't think it would come for this championship, though. I, I thought it would come down to them fighting over the X Division championship. But we didn't see that. Um, instead, it's going to be the World Championship. So you know what? For that reason alone, considering the story they've told up to this point um, and how much they've aggressively built up Tessa, including having her pin Brian Cage in a gauntlet match like two months ago, I think she has to win here. I think Tessa Blanchard punches her ticket um, to the main event scene officially by becoming the all-new Impact World Champion. That's going to you know, ruffle some feathers with some fans saying it's not believable, oh, it's bullshit, she's a woman, who fucking cares? She's believable enough in the role. If you've watched Impact, any one episode of Impact involving Tessa Blanchard, you know this is kind of what they've been building to now for like six or seven months. So it's entirely, you know, uh, plausible that she could win their world championship. Against a guy like a Brian Cage, probably not. But a Sammy Callahan, it would make sense. So you know what? I'm going to go off on a limb here. I'm not exactly sure if this is a bold prediction, just because this could very well go either way. I think Tessa walks out the all-new Impact World Champion. Overall, it should be a good show. Again, if you have yet, I say this all the time, but if you have yet to give Impact another chance, definitely do so. You will not be disappointed. I have yet to see a below-average pay-per-view from Impact. Their Twitch specials, shit like that, aren't always great. Um, even every weekly episode of Impact isn't always amazing. But by and large, their pay-per-views in the last two years alone have been second to none. Great shit. So absolutely check out At Your Leisure, Hard to Kill This Sunday. Um, but also this Sunday, we have NXT UK TakeOver Blackpool 2. We'll run through these predictions quickly so we can get to uh, Raw, NXT, and Dynamite from this past week. Um, we have Tyler Bate taking on Jordan Devlin. This should be a great match. I've become a big Tyler Bate fan in the last six or seven months. And the guy was always great. You know, dating back to his uh, win in the inaugural WWE United Kingdom Championship Tournament, which was... Jesus, three months ago. That's crazy. That's absolutely amazing. To think that Tyler Bate and the rest of that UK crew in WWE debuted three years ago is mind-blowing to me because I was a senior in college at that point. So to think that it was that long ago, man, time really flies. But anyway, um, he's really had an amazing past year, and he's had a great stint in WWE in general in some awesome matches with... You know, Pete Dunne, obviously, that amazing series of matches from 2017. The awesome match he had with Walter last year. The great matches he and uh, Trent Seven had against Undisputed Era in 2018. And uh, just recently on NXT UK TV facing Cassius Ono in a great main event. Um, but this is also set, setting up to be a really, really fun match. Jordan Devlin is fucking awesome. And I want to say he's yet to score a victory on... Actually, no, I, I lied. I was going to say, no, no, wait, maybe he hasn't. I was going to say he hasn't scored a win yet on a UK TakeOver special. And I don't think he has. I know he lost to Finn Balor a year ago at the inaugural Blackpool show. I don't think he was on the last one in Cardiff. Let's check here. I have my laptop up and right in front of me. Um, no, I don't think he was on the show. 
No, he wasn't even at that takeover in uh, in Cardiff. Shit. So anyway, going back to this one, um, I think he's out of victory. I really do. I think Tyler Bate is great, but anyone who beat... I mean, I know he lost the last two takeover matches, so maybe he's due a win just as much as Devlin is um, on as grand of a stage as... Um, you know, as this as takeover, but I I just don't see both seven and bait going over on the same show. They both don't need to go over. One is enough. Both I don't think is necessary. I think of the two between Devlin and Eddie Dennis, I could see a scenario where Dennis goes over because they're really trying to push him right now. They're kind of taking Devlin for granted, but I think Devlin needs the win more. And I think Devlin actually beat Bomber Dave Mastiff like a month or two ago. It was a while back, and they had a really good match and. I think they should capitalize on that by giving Devlin the win here. I'm going to go off on a limb and say Devlin wins. Um, maybe not clean, but I do think he beats Tyler Bate on this show. That brings us to Trent Seven versus Eddie Dennis. Or Eddie Dennis, excuse me. Um, again, I could see a scenario where Eddie Dennis goes over. They're trying to push him. You know, Trent Seven is a bit more expendable than Tyler Bate. Um, definitely the most expendable of the three British Strong Style members between himself, Bate, and uh, Pete Dunne. And that he can lose, and it's not really that big of a deal. Um, but I don't think Eddie Dennis is really ready for that spot yet. He just came back. I don't think he has yet to wrestle a single match. And yeah, beating Trent Seven would be a big win for him. I mean, the guy is good, but I don't really see money, main event material in him, and main event, and main, excuse me, main event money material in him the same way I do a guy like Jordan Devlin, which is why I would have Jordan Devlin go over and have Eddie Dennis lose in this match to Trent Seven. For the NXT UK Women's Championship triple threat action here between the current champion Kaylee Ray and the challengers Tony Storm and Piper Nevin. Tony Storm is clearly on her way to NXT proper. So having her win here would make no sense. She, she will be facing, and like I said earlier, it has been confirmed already for the World's Collide Show, Rhea Ripley for the NXT Women's Championship. I believe the championship is on the line. So that's going to be fucking awesome. Uh, but there is no reason for her to regain the gold so soon. She just lost the belt in August to Kaylee Ray after like a seven-month reign. There's no reason for her to get the belt back um, when she is definitely on her way to NXT proper very, very soon. Uh, you could put the belt on Piper Niven, but I would wait on that. Um, I don't think now is the time for Kaylee Ray, who is just starting to hit her stride, to have her lose the championship. I think it's just way too soon. Um, so I think Kaylee Ray retains here. For the NXT UK Tag Team Titles Fatal 4-Way Ladder Match, which is such a random stipulation, but hey, I can't complain because on paper this sounds like an amazing match. Gallus, Imperium. Mark Andrews and Flash Morgan Webster and the Grizzled Young Veterans. Um, this sounds like an amazing match. Um, with four great tag teams, the triple threat tag team match with Gallus. I don't think Imperium was in there. I think it was Gallus, Andrews and Webster, and the Grizzled Young Vets back at the last TakeOver show. That's probably why they put a step on this, just because they just did a multi-team tag team title match at the last TakeOver. So I, I get why they're doing this, but it, it just it seems too similar to the four-way tag team ladder match we just saw at TakeOver 25 six or seven months ago. Um, nonetheless, I do think of these four teams, Imperium goes over. Gallus have not exactly been lighting the world on fire as tag team champions so far. Their match with Undisputed Era on Wednesday was it was good, but I, honestly, I thought, surprisingly enough, Imperium versus Forgotten Sons was better. Imperium are great. And, uh, spoiler, I think Walter's going over too in the main event against Joe Coffey, so I think... All of Imperium should hold all the gold that they can in the NXT UK. So I think um, 
Fabian Eichner and Marcel Bartel walk out the all-new NXT UK Tag Team Champions. Um, Andrews and Webster got their moment in Cardiff, Wales on the last takeover, and then the Grizzled Young Vets just dropped the belts um, on that same show. So I would not put the belts back on either of those two teams. Gallus are good, but I think Imperium is better. And like I said with the main event, I think Walter is beating Joe Coffey to retain the WWE United Kingdom Championship. Um, I think that's kind of a given. I think, you know, Joe Coffey's good, but he's not the guy um, to beat Walter. I mean, I don't really count the Survivor Series shit just because it was a multi-man tag team match. And is that really canon? Yes, it is, but I don't know. So we'll just assume that Walter's still undefeated one-on-one, which he is, but, you know, he got pinned in that fucking Survivor Series elimination match, which was a fucking travesty. Um, I think he wins here, as he should. There's still more people for Walter to face on that brand before he drops the belt. And Joe Coffey's good, but again, he's not really the guy to carry that brand as the champion. So for the second straight year on January 12th, I think Joe Coffey walks out a loser as Walter retains the WWE United Kingdom Championship. I'm looking forward to both shows on Sunday. It's going to be a great night for wrestling, so tune in um, to both Impact Hard to Kill and the NXT UK TakeOver Blackpool 2 shows. Um, in the final few, let's see, not few, but like 20 minutes or so of the show, I'll run down Raw for Monday night, NXT and Dynamite as well, whatever we can squeeze in here, really. Um, I do want to start off with this from Monday Night Raw. We found out at the start of the show, Brock Lesnar entering the Royal Rumble match from the number one entrant. And I had to do some thinking about this. I really had to mull this one over, really think about it, really analyze the possibilities that could come out of it. Is it a good idea to put Lesnar in the Rumble? Is it beneficial? Is it harmful? What are the pros and cons here? All in all, I think this is a plus. I think it's a really cool move because, for one thing, I mean, you shouldn't do things just because they haven't been done before. Um... It's, you know, having Zack Ryder versus Bo Dallas in the main event of WrestleMania. Oh, we've never seen it, so let's do it. It's, you know, unprecedented isn't exactly always the way to go. But we've never seen a world champion, a real world champion. We've had the ECW world champion in the Rumble before, which means fucking nothing because that title meant nothing. And the NXT champion's been in the Rumble before, too. And maybe, I want to say, like... No, I think that was it. I don't think we've ever had a World Heavyweight Universal or WWE Champion in the actual Royal Rumble. Because on paper, it makes no sense. Because uh, why would an actual champion enter the Rumble? But honestly, it's a lot like the G1 Climax a little bit. That's not a Rumble, but like in the G1 Climax, if the champion wins, I think they get to pick their opponent for Wrestle Kingdom. In this case, you know, Brock and Storyline can say, hey, I won the Rumble. I'm not defending my championship at WrestleMania. Fuck you people. I think it's a really cool concept. I think it's a really cool, fun road to go down, to explore. There's a lot of possibilities here. Now, we can expect people like Keith Lee to take out Brock Lesnar. We can expect people like fucking Matt Riddle to take out Brock Lesnar. I saw Bully Ray Dudley, you know, I I saw Bully Ray, Bully Ray Dudley, it's it's Bully Ray or Bubba Ray, whatever. I saw him, um, I saw him pitch the idea of CM Punk coming back and tossing out Brock Lesnar before facing him at WrestleMania. Again, I've been saying that for months now. I think that'd be amazing because Punk and Lesnar, unfinished business. Their first match was great. Um, you know, Punk coming back, big surprise. People go nuts. I think it'd be amazing. It's not going to happen. But from a purely a, a fantasy booking standpoint, it works. I hate to get my hopes up for shit like that, though, because I feel like the Rumble, I hate to sound negative, but I want to try to be realistic here. Because when it comes to stuff like this, specifically with people like Lesnar, we get our hopes up, and it ends up being very 
mundane, a very watered-down version of what it could be. It could very well be like, oh, Matt Riddle starts out at number two, and then he gets chucked in two seconds. And then Lesnar runs through a string of jobbers before finally getting to a person like Braun Strowman. You know, something like that. The issue with, you know, doing something like this is that with Lesnar, you could have him dominate the entire field, which is exactly what he should not do. He should last a long time, but it would be stupid to A, have him win, or B, you know, not explore the various possibilities that you could have here. All the fun that you could have with Lesnar being in the Rumble, all the possible, you know, showdowns. Have him rekindle his rivalry with, um, you know, Randy Orton in there. Have a returning John Cena square off, uh, square off with Brock Lesnar. That'd be pretty cool. Triple H, Goldberg, all have history with Brock Lesnar. Roman Reigns does as well. You could have... You know, Kevin Owens go after him, Samoa Joe, Drew McIntyre, Aleister Black, all very intriguing possibilities, Shinsuke Nakamura for the first time in WWE, um, and for the first time in general since like 2008 when they clashed over the IWGP Heavyweight Championship over in New Japan, I don't know if you knew that match happened, but it did, Lesnar versus Nakamura, look it up, the possibilities are endless, so uh, I'm looking forward to it, I'm looking forward to seeing how they handle it. It could very well end up being a complete disaster, um, but I do have hope they'll do right by it. Maybe, you know, optimistically speaking here, I want to be cautiously optimistic, um, but I'm excited. Hey, you know what? It's better than putting Brock in there with some fucking scrub like Eric Rowan and having him beat Eric Rowan in five minutes. Who cares? You know, because you knew whoever was going to go for that championship at the Rumble, they weren't going to win anyway. You knew they were not going to be Brock for that belt. So you might as well... Um, just put him in the rumble. Why the fuck not? At this point, why the fuck not? So I'm looking forward to seeing how this plays out. Andrade successfully retained his United States Championship against Rey Mysterio. The ending looked really botched and weird. That was strange. Like, so Andrade was about to do his finisher on Mysterio. The referee breaks it up. Mysterio goes out to ringside to check on Zelina, who accidentally got knocked down in the in the bedlam at ringside. Rey Mysterio gets back gets back in the ring, and then gets hit by Andrade's finisher anyway. So the whole thing was just weird. But it was a very good match up to that point. And I saw a lot of people speculating, myself included, maybe they're building to a mask versus title match at WrestleMania, a lot like they were supposed to last year. Um, apparently that's not in the works, according to, I believe, maybe Dave Meltzer or someone else had reported that. That's not where they're headed with this. But you would sure seem to think so, because Andrade, you know, unmasked Rey Mysterio after the match, and then Rey Mysterio took his mask back later on. They probably just did that to get heat on Andrade, but it sure did seem like they were building to that at some point. I mean, I'm not sure that they are at this point, but it, it, it certainly did seem like they were planting the seeds for it. So WWE gave away everything they advertised for Raw this week in the first hour of the show alone. Between the Lesnar appearance, the United States Championship match, and then the Raw Tag Team Championship match, pitting the Viking Raiders against the OC and the Street Profits. Very fun match here. Would have been cool to see the Street Profits, you know, pull out a victory, but I figured it wasn't going to happen. The Viking Raiders stole the tag team champions, as they probably should be. Um, they should be champions until a feud with AOP comes about, probably, hopefully, for WrestleMania. Um, I think that has the potential to be a really fun feud, a really fun match. So, uh, yeah, Viking Raiders versus AOP, sign me up. That sounds like a hard-hitting physical affair that would be a, a real treat to watch. Uh, we then had Becky Lynch knocking out Asuka after Asuka was, like, rambling in Japanese. Um, a short, simple, effective way of furthering their feud going into the Royal Rumble. I love that they showed the video packages of their history from 2019, from when Asuka tapped Becky out of the Royal Rumble last year, to when Asuka pinned Becky in tag team action back in November. 
Um, they also showed a clip of Asuka and Kyrie Sane beating Becky and Charlotte in that TLC main event at TLC last month. They have a lot of history, and Asuka has gotten the better of Becky every single time. So I like what they're going for here. If you thought this ruined Asuka, stop overreacting. They can always have her bounce back or beat the shit out of Becky next week. There is still time before the pay-per-view, people. This wasn't a death of Asuka. She wasn't completely killed off here. I thought it was a perfectly fine, short and sweet, solid segment that succeeded in what it set out to do. Eric Rowan beat another jobber named uh, KJ Orso. Um, he came the closest to opening up the cage. He got spit, you know, got spit with blood right in his face. And then Mojo Raleigh took a peek inside the cage backstage, and he was all freaked out. I'm still not convinced that even WWE knows where they're going with this, because we all have no idea. I would love to think it's a cool reveal. It's a cool, you know, uh, moment when the cage is eventually unclothed. But I really have no hope when it comes to this type of shit. Because with, with this type of shit, because WWE either a has no patience, or b doesn't really push much, push much put much, much thought, excuse me, put much thought into stuff like this before they book it. Um, so I'm not getting my hopes up, but it was interesting to see the blood thing and the Mojo Raleigh thing. So at least they're taking subtle steps to revealing what's inside the cage, even if I, it should be done with by now. It's been two months. I know people lack patience. I'm the first one to say that. But uh, the Eric Rowan thing, the guy is just not entertaining. He's not compelling. He's not a great character. He's just in there beating losers. I mean, that that's going to get old real quick. So hopefully they can move on from that real, real soon. Akira Tozawa, excuse me, versus AJ Styles was basically a glorified squash match with um, AJ going over with Orton's um, signature set, move set, with the RKO, um, which I thought was hilarious. Um, he initially hit the phenomenal forearm and then he hit the draping DDT, followed by the RKO. It looked terrible. And then followed by the signature Orton arms up douche pose. I mean, again, it looked terrible when AJ did it, but that was probably the point. I thought that was great. Now, the only way, the only thing that would be better than this would be if they had Orton do a neither Styles clash, which could be disastrous, or better yet, a phenomenal forearm um, in their match next week on Raw. That would be amazing. We had the continuation of the Bobby Lashley, Lana, Rusev segment here, which was, who gives a shit? I think the best part about the segment was when the, was when the uh, wedding official, whether it was scripted or not, got attacked while he was crawling into the ring, which was hilarious, right before they cut the commercial break. Charlotte Flair versus Sarah Logan never got started after Sarah Logan started brawling with Charlotte for whatever reason. Uh, Charlotte stood tall. Drew McIntyre squash No Way Jose, and yes, it does look like Drew McIntyre is in the verge in the midst of a babyface turn here, which he absolutely should be. I mean, the guy should have been a breakout babyface months ago. Maybe not right when he moved up to the main roster, because he is a great heel. Um, I thought the pairing with Dolph was good, and they really all, it, it was all downhill from there, because they did nothing with this guy in 2019. The alliances with Corbin, with uh, Bobby Lashley, with Shane McMahon were all a ginormous waste of time. A ginormous waste of time. But the guy could be a real breakout babyface if they book him as such. And he's beating babyfaces right now, which is the weird thing. But, like, he's leading the crowd in chance, And, you know, he's doing interactive shit to get the crowd behind him. He's not doing anything to elicit real heat. Um, so I'm not sure what they're going for right now with Drew McIntyre. Maybe a tweener. I'm not sure. But if he is going babyface, I love it. He should have done it from when he came back from injury a couple months ago. But better late than never. And um, especially if they would be planting the seeds for a McIntyre-Lesnar match, which, in my opinion, could be fucking killer. Uh, Aleister Black squashed Shelton Benjamin. So there was that. 
And in the main event, Kevin Owens and Samoa Joe teamed up with the returning Big Show to beat the trio of Seth Rollins and AOP by disqualification after Rollins and AOP got themselves intentionally disqualified. As a match, this was fine. It was whatever. The Big Show being back, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't hate it as much as many other people do. We've seen a lot of old people on a lot of wrestling promotions lately, it seems like, between Ken Shamrock, Rhino, and Rob Van Dam over an Impact. PCO is fucking 50-something years old. He's the Ring of Honor World Champion. Big Show is back at the forefront of Monday Night Raw. I, I, I say that lightly because it's not like they put the fucking top title on him, but, you know, he was the big reveal for that six-man tag team match on Raw this week. We have over an AEW of 50-year-old Chris Jericho as the world champion, which doesn't really bother me. But then you have Diamond Dallas Page, who's 63 years old. Oh, 63 years young. And listen, I love DDP. We've had him here on the show before. He's a great guy. Awesome interview. The issue is that he's 63 fucking years old. There is no excuse to have this guy out in that ring dishing out diamond cutters to members of your roster. People like the Butcher and the Blade who need as much help as they can get to begin with. It seems like, and then you had the Rock and Roll Express, who are at least 60, year old, 60 years old each, are the current NWA Tag Team Champions, which again, I don't really have a big issue with. NWA is a smaller platform. Um, they are one of the better tag teams of all time. It is a little unrealistic, I will give you that, but not as bad as the DDP thing. I thought that was just stupid. That was just fucking like, Jesus Christ, Like this, this is embarrassing. But anyway, with the big show, I didn't hate it. I really didn't. I didn't really think it was that big of a deal. Um, and by the way, during all of this, then you have a guy like Juice and Thunder Liger, who's 50-something years old, I think. Uh, maybe 60, but I feel like he's in his 50s. Wrestling for over 30 years. Retired this past weekend in the, in the greatest way possible at Wrestle Kingdom on Sunday, on, on January 4th or 5th. I forgot which night. I think it was both nights. It was the second night, and he and he went off on a high note at, with the uh, farewell at the New Year's Dash show. Um, that's how you go out. That's how you go out right there with Jushin Thunder Liger. Um, that guy knows his place. Everyone else, I can't say the same thing about. But with Big Show, it is what it is. If he's not a regular on Raw beyond WrestleMania, I would say, it's not that big of a deal. Who cares? The fist fight shit, that's what they're advertising for next week. I can't say I'm getting excited about that as we, as we speak right here. I think Rey Mysterio... Would have made more sense as the third partner in this match, just because he also got attacked by AOP and Rollins last month. But Big Show, whatever, it's not the end of the world. Um, you, you know, he didn't pin Seth Rollins or a member of AOP, which would be fucking dumb if he did. Um, beyond this little mini brief angle, which I'm sure you'll be in the Rumble match now. Beyond this, it's it's really not that big of a deal that he's back on Raw. It's really not. If you're hating on this, and I've never been the biggest Big Show fan, but imagine hating on this. But defending PCO as the Ring of Honor World Champion or DDP laying out fucking members of the AEW roster with a pair of diamond cutters. Come the fuck on. That's just ridiculous. But this was fine. I thought overall it was a good show. Um, I, I liked that they advertised matches for next week. And the wrestling was good overall. I liked the show. I thought the third hour kind of dragged a little bit. But overall I thought it was a good show. AEW. We might as well just get this out of the way now. Definitely not their strongest effort. If not the worst show of Dynamite yet, it was definitely up there. I mean, there have been a few shows where I'm like, eh, I don't really appreciate that, or like, eh, that could be done better, whatever. Never have I seen a show, an episode of Dynamite yet, where I thought to myself, holy shit, like, this is terrible. The first hour or so of this show was almost, it couldn't be salvaged, almost. I thought the final half an hour or so was good, but 
Overall, I was not a big fan of the show whatsoever. So here's my 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 issues with the show. The opener was great. No real issue with that. Oh, Kenny Omega and Hangman Adam Page beating Private Party. And I'm not one of these people, by the way, that will say, oh, fuck AEW, they're going to die. Like, I love AEW. I enjoy the show. But when it comes to shit like what they did on Wednesday that people would also pick apart WWE for doing, it's inexcusable. Um, the opener, like I said, Private Party, Omega, Page, great match. Uh, further tease tension between Omega and Page. That made sense there. Yeah, I'm just not a big fan of how they've already made Private Party look like just a bunch of jabrones. Like, this was the same team that felt like huge stars coming off their big win over the Young Bucks in the first round of the AEW World Tag Team Title Tournament back in October of the Boston Show, the second ever episode of Dynamite that I was there for. Um, you know, and then they did that there, and it was like, then that was it. They lost all their momentum after that. So I'm not really sure what's going on there. It, it, that, that really could be said about a majority of the AEW roster that no one really feels special, which is definitely an issue. So they have to do a better job of addressing that. The AEW Women's Championship match is where I drew the line. You know, there were some other things on the show that were, you know, questionable, but this was just terrible. The match was no good. Uh, it was Rio versus Chris Statlander. And it's not because their women's division sucks, because they... Prove they have proven they can put on really good matches. The four-way last week with Rio and Kirishita, Britt Baker, and Nyla Rose was fantastic. It was a great match. This was the exact opposite. This was absolute bullshit. This was complete trash. So the, the, the entire match was riddled with interference from the Nightmare Collective, one of the worst factions I've seen in some time. I like Awesome Kong. Brandy Rhodes does nothing for me. The bald chick, we have no idea who the fuck she's supposed to be. They brought out some dude named Luther, some hardcore wrestler from Japan. Who gives a fuck? Who cares? I thought it was fucking Kevin Sullivan for a, I, I thought it was Kevin Sullivan for a second when I saw him come out of the ring from underneath the ring. Like Jesus Christ, what year is this? The match sucked. Way too much interference. They really should have put the belt on Statlander here. Rio's had a very underwhelming reign. Um, you know, she's had some good matches, but she was gone for two months. Come the fuck on. Like, don't even bother putting the championship on her if you're going to do shit like that. It's just completely ridiculous. So Rio wins. She's still the champion. Statlander better get the belt eventually because Rio is A, not doing anything for me as champion. And this nightmare collective bullshit is just a fucking joke. Um, Sammy Guevara versus Christopher Daniels. Uh, it was a good match. Guevara went over after a distraction from Jake Hager, which made sense, but the like Guevara hit Dustin with a quick kick and the match was over. So that was kind of anticlimactic. But as a match, it was good. Uh, Cody and Dustin Rhodes beating the Lucha Bros. Fantastic match. The issue is that the issue with this match is why? Why would you do this match? Why would you blow through this match if there's no reason for it to happen in the first place? Pentagon Jr., as we just saw in the previous match, with um what was it? The fucking, uh, it wasn't, I'm sorry, I said Jake Hager, I meant Pentagon Jr. Uh, Pentagon Jr. distracted uh, Christopher Daniels from the stage. So Pentagon's feuding with Daniels, Cody's feuding with MJF, and Dustin's feuding with uh, Jake Hager. So why are these two teams facing each other? The Lucha Bros feel completely directionless. They have now a record of 6-7. and seven. Which, to me, blows my mind. Like, they're the best tag team in the world. Why the fuck they have a record of 6-7? and seven? 
losing to a team that's not really a team. I know they're brothers, but they're not a regular team in the tag team division. That makes absolutely no sense. It's like one step forward, two steps back with these people. They picked up a big win, I think, over Adam Page and Omega a couple weeks ago, and they went right back to losing on the show. The Lucha Bros did. I just don't get it. So speaking of MJF, uh, he, he came out for a promo. He was great. You know, talking about Cody and the build of their match at Revolution. DDP interrupts him. Starts plugging his fucking, you know, DDPY yoga stuff. It's like, oh my god, dude, get to the fucking point. Even MJF at one point was on his phone. I'm like, this is amazing. That's exactly me right now. Me on my phone, because this is not making any sense. So then they eventually have DDP get surrounded by MJF, Wardlow, the Butcher, and the Blade. DDP, with ease, lays out the Butcher and the Blade. As if their fucking act wasn't already dead enough in the water... There you go, folks. Getting laid out in a two-on-one situation. I know he's a WWE Hall of Famer. I understand that. But the guy's 63 years old. What the fuck? Uh, so this was all done to set up a six-man tag team match next week at the Bash of the Beach show, Dynamite, that we'll see. MJF, the Butcher and the Blade. I believe it's the Butcher and the Blade. Versus uh, QT Marshall. Dustin Rhodes, who came to DDP's aid, and then DDP. So DDP will also be involved in the match. Why? I have no idea. I have no idea. We then saw Jurassic Express be best friends in Orange Cassidy. Really fun match. No you know, issues here. I thought this was a good match. Good first win for Jungle Boy in AEW. Um, then the last segment, which saw John Moxley turn down Chris Jericho and his offer to join the inner circle. Um, they had to really drag this thing out. They had 10 minutes to work with here, which was way too long for Moxley to just come out and say no. So he initially said yes, he teased them, he played around with the idea of saying yes and whatever. They were celebrating for a little too long, but it's fine. And then uh, Moxley lays out Jericho and he reveals that the only thing he wants in AEW is that world championship. So uh, setting the stage for Moxley and Jericho at the Revolution pay-per-view. Overall, this was a fucking weak-ass show. I'm going to be honest with you, it wasn't like a terrible show, but by their recent Dynamite standards, this was a really weak show. NXT, on the other hand, I thought was a much stronger show last night. Um, it wasn't the most amazing episode ever. Not a ton happened, but they set forth several storylines, a few surprise appearances, uh, breaking news regarding who will be involved in the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic next week, the continuation, or rather the beginning, the start of the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic this week. We had matches confirmed for Worlds Collide, for TakeOver Portland. Overall, that was a very successful show, um, and I watched... Dynamite first, and Dynamite did do better in the ratings, which, again, I'm not really surprised by. So the official numbers were, let's see here, um, obviously AEW won in the ratings. They won 900,000, 947,000, NXT's 721,000, which, again, not surprising at all. Um, NXT had a very good show. It was a much better show than Dynamite, like by far. It's not even close. But NXT didn't really have much advertised for the episode ahead of time. They had the four-way advertised for the uh, the number one contenders four-way for the NXT North American Championship with Keith Lee, Cameron Grimes, Damian Priest, Dominic Dajakovic. But that was really about it. I don't really think they've advertised much else beyond that. Um, so I'm not surprised that AEW did better in the ratings. And they had a, I mean, it wasn't a great show at all, but they had a lot more on tap on paper between the women's championship match they had the Moxley-Jericho segment, two big marquee tag team matches. 
So uh, I'm not shocked they did better in the ratings, but the real telltale sign will be next week what the ratings are going to be and whatever they've advertised for next week on NXT, uh, which they were smart to advertise the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic matches a week out. I'm, I wasn't. I, I guess they advertised that Gallas versus Undisputed Era. I forgot about that, but you know there wasn't like this strong show to promote um, this week's show because there was no NXT last week. I mean there was, but it was an award show. Not many people watched, so I'm not surprised. Um, but still, it'll be very interesting to see how the two shows fare in the ratings next week. Um, you know, with with NXT having a much better show this week and having more advertised, I believe I, I believe as of right now for uh, next week's episode of NXT. So to kick off this episode, we had uh, Rhea Ripley come out, address her win over Shayna Baszler as the all-new NXT Women's Champion. She got interrupted by the debuting at Full Sail University, Tony Storm, which was cool. Uh, we have not seen Ripley and Storm interact in quite some time since I believe Tony Storm beat her for the NXT UK Women's Championship at this time a year ago. They had a rematch, but that was about it. Um, Tony Storm came out, the NXT UK Women's Champion Kaylee Ray, so they're clearly hyping up Sunday's TakeOver Black Bull 2 show, which is cool. Uh, they had Candice come out, they had um, Bianca Belair, Io Shirai, all throwing their names in the hat for a future shot at that NXT Women's Championship. This ended up being a very good match, the six-woman tag team match, which saw Ripley, Storm, and LeRae beat Kaylee Ray, Bianca Belair, and Io Shirai. And again, set in stone, Ripley versus Storm for that Worlds Collide show coming up in two weeks, which should be absolutely great. There are a series of matches from late 2018 and early 2019 were any indication of how well they work together. Um, I love the showcase of the NXT Women's Division to kick off the show and the hype for the NXT UK TakeOver Blackpool 2 show on Sunday. All around, I thought this was a very good segment. Uh, we then had our first first round match in the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic, the fifth annual with Imperium knocking off the Forgotten Sons. I thought this was a lot better than it had any right to be. I could not give two shits about the Forgotten Sons, but they had a great performance here. So props to Wesley Blake and Steve Cutler for going all out and having a really fun match. And you also can't go wrong with Imperium, who are just absolutely excellent. They're really, really good. And they never cease to have quality matches. So I can't seem surprised that this was entertaining. But I got I, one thing I did notice in the match was that the Forgotten Sons busted their ass and had easily one of their best matches I've ever seen from them. So good stuff here. Imperium went over as they should have. We then saw Austin Theory beat uh, Joaquin Wilde in a very good match. Theory actually made his NXT TV debut two weeks ago on the show, losing in an NXT North American Championship Open Challenge match to Roderick Strong. Um, he looks like a star. From what I've heard, his mic skills are great. Um, he has the charisma of a star he's going to be one to watch absolutely in 2020 for this brand. They need to kind of establish, they need to establish a character for him and kind of get him more mic time and really introduce us to who he is and what he's all about. But showings like this will only help. I thought he looked really good here. Wild was also good. The issue with Wild is that he seems to me, he screams natural heel like he was in TNA. He was a great asshole in TNA. He has a great comeback story. But he just comes across like someone you want to punch in the fucking face. So hopefully them at some point they turn him heel because currently he's just he's not clicking with crowds whatsoever as a baby face. Or, yeah, they, they got to turn him heel eventually. Austin Theory, though, will be one to watch. He is one to watch. He's very, very good. So keep an eye on him in 2020. Um, we also had our, another first-round match in the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic pitting the Undisputed Era against uh, Gallus. 
So the NXT Tag Team Champions against the NXT UK Tag Team Champions, obviously non-title. I honestly thought the Imperium versus Forgotten Sons match was better. This was solid, it was good, but kind of disappointing for a Champions versus Champions match. Um, Undisputed Era again went over as they should have, good match here. And then we found out next week, in the second half of the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic first round matches, we will see um, Mark Andrews and uh, Flash Morgan Webster, Flash Morgan Webster and Mark Andrews, take on the duo of Matt Riddle and Pete Dunne, which would be a lot of fun. No, No rhyme intended there. And then the other match, we have the Grizzled Young Veterans taking on Kushida and his mystery partner, who I thought they would wait until next week to reveal what we found out here on this show, which is probably smart, to be honest with you, um, just because they really want to win in the ratings and get people excited for this match. Alex Shelley. Yeah, you heard that right. Of Motor City Machine Guns fame. Um, and of Time Splitter's fame, obviously. He teamed with Kushida. They won the tag team titles, I believe, on multiple occasions. Over in Japan, the IWGP Tag Team Champion titles, uh, championships, those tag team titles over in Japan. Um, Alex Shelley, of course, won half of the Motor City Machine Guns alongside Chris Sabin, former TNA and Ring of Honor World Tag Team Champions. Alex Shelley just might be one of the most underappreciated performers in pro wrestling history. When I saw that he was at the PC last year, um, I was like, sign the dude. It made me really happy to see him make an appearance as a coach at the PC. I never thought they would sign him. As of right now, I don't think they've signed him to a contract. This might be just a one-off for him to come in, team with Kushida, lose, and move on. But what if they moved on? What if they retain? Or what if they advanced? I assume that they lose just because I assume they want to keep it even with the amount of, uh, you know, NXT normal teams and NXT UK teams. So they had, you know, Imperium win, Undisputed Era win. I assume... Matt Riddle and Pete Dunn are beating uh, Andrews and Webster, which would have to mean that um, the time splitters are losing in their reunion. But it should be fun while it lasts. Uh, they were an amazing team over in uh, New Japan. I kind of got into their team well after they disbanded. But I love Alex Shelley. He's one half of the Motor City Machine Guns. And you know what? Fuck it. I said this on Twitter earlier today. Give me a Motor City Machine Guns reunion. I love the Time Splitters, but give me a Motor City Machine Guns reunion in NXT in 2020. That's all I want. That's all I need. Please. They deserve it. Even well after, you know, I know their prime was like 10 years ago in TNA, those matches with Beer Money and Beyond. They had some great matches over there. But they have yet to get a fair shake in a promotion like WWE. The fact that WWE hasn't sought after them sooner, like three or four years ago when they first got back together in the Ring of Honor, maybe they did, I don't know. But the fact they didn't do it sooner blows my mind because they're so fucking good and they're still good all these years later. Alex Shelley was working, I believe, in Ring of Honor on like a per-date deal. He wasn't signed any contract. Chris Saban's been gone from Ring of Honor now for well over a year. So there's no reason to not do a, a Motor City Machine Guns run in NXT. They need them. Their tag team division needs the Motor City Machine Guns. I know it's a blast from the past, um, but these guys are still great. They can still go. And their tag team division needs more depth. They need more variety in the Motor City Machine Guns reunion. If they call them that or not, I don't know. But they're fucking good. Alex Shelley and Chris Saban deserve that much. But if nothing else, it will be cool to see Shelley on NXT TV for the first time ever next week, teaming with Kushida in the second round of the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. It would be cool to see him go all the way and win it. I doubt they will, especially if Shelly isn't signed. I assume this is just a one-off, um, you know, where he 
comes in, loses, and that's it. Like Kota Ibushi, Kota Ibushi, believe it or not, was in the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic many, many years ago in 2016. He actually made it to the, to the next round, in the second round, uh, with TJP, and they lost to like Sanity or something. Which, in retrospect, sounds absolutely terrible, considering uh, Kota Ibushi was just um, in the main event of night one of Wrestle Kingdom the other day. <laughs> but um, still, kind of reminds me a lot of that same Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic where it was uh, Roderick Strong reuniting with Austin Aries for the first time in years in NXT, which was awesome. Um, and unfortunately, that had to be cut short because Austin Aries got hurt, and they never reunited after that. Austin Aries went up to the main roster, he got fired after that, so we never really got to see a full-on run from them in the NXT tag team division. But maybe we do with Kushida and Alex Shelley. I mean, why not? It's not like Kushida's doing much else right now, so I don't see why not. But if not a Time Splitters reunion, a full-on reunion, then please... Give me the Motor City Machine Guns in NXT. Calling it right now. We had Johnny Gargano accept Finn Balor's invitation to face him at the TakeOver Portland show. I thought this was a great segment. Really good mic work from uh, Johnny here, from Balor. Johnny poking fun of the ordinary man that could do extraordinary things, which is such a dumb fucking nickname. And he kind of gave it the old wink and a nod, kind of acknowledging how dumb it was. Um, I thought that was great, acknowledging how Finn Balor... Took that phone call as soon as he can get it to go to Monday Night Raw back in 2016, whereas with Johnny back in the summer in August, he said he got that same phone call to go up to Raw, but he said, no, I'm NXT for life. So I'm looking forward to that match. Cool to see Johnny back. That match should be a fucking banger. Um, Mia Yim knocked off Caden Carter in a fine match. The real focus here was what happened afterward, the NXT TV debut of... Chelsea Green. I had a brain fart there for a second. I don't know why. But Chelsea Green made her NXT TV debut. And I know she appeared in the crowd once before with Deanna Perrazzo, like, sitting in the crowd. But that was about it. Um, she made her formal NXT TV debut on the show, attacking Kaden Carter, attacking Mia Yim, and aligning herself afterward with none other than Robert Stone, the former Robbie E. from Impact Wrestling, who I've been following now in the indie scene for well over a decade. Um, I first found out about Robert Stone, Robbie E., Robert Strauss, whatever you want to call him. Um, well before he signed with TNA in like early 2009, the first ever indie show I ever, well, the first ever wrestling show I went to period in May of 2009, Robbie E was in the very first match I ever saw. And I think he lost, I can't remember, but at that point his name was, uh, Rob Echoes. Um, then he changed his name to Robbie E in TNA to kind of play off the whole Jersey Shore thing. Um, I've always been a big fan of his, followed him in TNA, followed him on the indie scene, following him now in WWE, very cool to see him get signed uh, about a year, year and a half ago, and now he's serving as a manager, which is probably the best possible role for him, and um, I like this pairing of him and Chelsea Green, and uh, we'll see who else gets added in the days, not the days, but like the weeks to come, months to come. I would assume Deanna Perrazzo also gets added, they were an item on uh, NXT live events, Chelsea Green and Deanna Perrazzo were, and I say item, not like a, any, not romantically speaking, but... Uh, like a tag team allies, whatever it was like VXT, I think their name was. So uh, maybe we see that translate to NXT TV with uh, Deanna Perrazzo also joining the uh, Robert Stone brand. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that develops going forward. We then had the main event of Keith Lee besting Cameron Grimes, Dominic Dijakovic, and Damian Priest in a fatal four-way match, which earns him a shot at the NXT North American Championship in two weeks' time against Roderick Strong right here on NXT TV. Uh, which is pretty cool. I thought they would save him for TakeOver Portland, uh, but maybe they're getting it out of the way before the Royal Rumble 
because, like, why in two weeks, you know? I mean, I guess they do advertise matches two weeks out, but, 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 hear me out. What if they're getting it out of the way? Because Keith Lee is going to win the Royal Rumble. I know it's not going to happen, but as I've said many times before, Keith Lee going in the Rumble, eliminating Brock Lesnar, and facing him for the championship at WrestleMania would make him a star from the fucking get-go. If anyone could pose a threat to Brock Lesnar, Matt Riddle, I could see people saying like, oh, I don't get it. Like, even if they don't understand the whole MMA thing, they might not see the big deal behind Matt Riddle. Keith Lee, size-wise, looks like a threat to Brock Lesnar. He can go in the ring. Why not? Why not try something new? Unless they have big plans for him at NXT as the next North American champion or whatever, then I want to see him win the Royal Rumble. So maybe he loses or the match ends in a draw or whatever on NXT in two weeks and he fails to become the North American champion. If he does, then he's not winning the Rumble, obviously. He won't even be in the Rumble, likely. He could be, but, I mean, I'd be surprised. Um, assuming he loses, he goes on to win the Royal Rumble. Again, not happening. But I think it'd be a really cool, shocking scenario that no one would see coming. And it would make sense, because Lee and Lesnar could be a really fun mania match for the WWE Championship. They'll never do it, because they're afraid of change and kind of going off on a limb with stuff like that, but it would be pretty fucking sick. And that did it for NXT on Wednesday. I thought overall it was a very good show, like I said. Um, lots to look forward to. Alex Shelley coming up next week. We have Keith Lee and Roderick Strong for the North American Championship in two weeks. We have a uh, women's battle royal to determine the next number one contender to the women's championship next week, I believe, which I didn't even see advertised until today. I guess they aired it on the show last night. I just missed it. Um, but that's happening next week as well. So, yeah, NXT always continuing to deliver. Dynamite is usually a good show, too, but this past week was just not one of their better efforts. If anything, it was one of their worst shows to date. So hopefully they can bounce back with a better show next week. Um, with all that being said, folks, thank you as always for checking out WrestleRant Radio. I appreciate your support of the show. As I said at the start of the show, um, if you want to leave a rating, a review of the show on iTunes, please do so. Um, rate the show, review, subscribe, all that great stuff. Uh, when you leave a review, I'm not going to check it like every day, but the next time I look and I see someone left a review, I will uh, shout you out right here on the show because I appreciated that much. So uh, please do so on iTunes, but you can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Google Play. We're all over the place, baby, in addition to NextAirWrestling.net, which, by the way, keep locked on. Uh, net for further details on the 2020 Royal Rumble game, the 8th annual, coming up this month. Uh, we're probably going to open up the spots for people to claim in the next week or so, I'm thinking. Uh, so people have plenty of time before the Rumble, because there's a lot of spots to claim between the two Rumble matches. So that's going to start really, really soon. And then if you win either pool... Maybe both, because that's possible, too, because you can claim both pools if you want. Um, you can win a t-shirt of whoever wins the Rumble or a WrestleRant Radio t-shirt. Support the show. I appreciate it. But anyway, guys, have a great rest of your weekend. We'll be right back here in WrestleRant Radio next Thursday to review the maybe the Impact Hard to Kill pay-per-view, but definitely NXT UK TakeOver Blackpool 2, review Raw, preview whatever the hell's coming up that weekend, if anything. I'm not sure if anything's happening next weekend. Uh, it might be the calm before the storm, before hard times, and then, you know, uh, Worlds Collide and the Royal Rumble. That last show before um, the Royal Rumble is going to be a big one. I probably won't talk hard times because RJ will be on the show at that point in two weeks to help me break down the Rumble as he always does. 
But uh, it, it's going to be a jam-packed month of wrestling, if nothing else. So again, guys, on that note, have a great rest of your week slash weekend. I'm Graham Gius and Matthews, and I'll catch your ass down the road. Oh,